tie it in to tonight's message, but then also to prepare our hearts for the uh, Holy Week Revival 2024, which is March 24 to 29. I want to give you three verses. And while Sue and I were away, I took these three verses and I, I put them on a big font and I printed them on a half a page and we just put them around where we were. Fold, them, fold that page in half so that they stand up. And then... Way back, 30 years ago, I'm sitting in a recliner in the bedroom of the house we lived in when we pioneered this church, and I'm sitting there memorizing scriptures off of index cards. The Holy Spirit says to me, what are you doing? I said, well, you know all things. I said, I'm sitting here getting ready for Sunday. Second time, what are you doing? And I said, well... I know he's fishing when he comes at me, you know, two or three times. I'm not, in other words, I'm not giving him the answer he wants. I say, well, I'm, I'm memorizing these scriptures, getting ready for Sunday. Third time, what are you doing? I got it then. I said, well, I'm memorizing. I, I said, I'm meditating on your word. And then he didn't speak anymore. But I made a mistake in my life. Because based on that day, I assumed that memorization was meditation. And I've seen in the last three weeks studying, memorization is part of meditation, but it's not all of it. So here are these three verses. Of course, this, you're very familiar with this because we've used it over and over and over in this series, John 15, 7. If you, and I like the New King James here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And I like that. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, why meditate on that? Because the language is so certain. And we miss this. And we're going to get into this tonight. Okay, a companion verse, and these are the three that Sue and I were working on, meditating on while we were gone. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Again, notice the certainty. And ye shall have them. Not probably, maybe. Ye shall have them. And I have to stand here and admit, <laughs> in my life, I've been weak on this. And then the main verse, and this is the one now for about two weeks, that any, the way I'm doing this is anytime I'm going to sleep. And the one I'm working on while I'm going to sleep last couple of weeks is 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. We know that we have. And so this is what I'm doing a new thing. <laughs> tell, tell your neighbor, 
you can teach an old dog new tricks. And so what I'm doing is anytime I'm trying to go to sleep, 1 John 5, uh, 14, 15, this is, what, this is the main one I'm meditating on. And I just rehearse it over and over because the word meditate in Joshua 1, 8 that God used in speaking to Joshua is from the same Hebrew word as mutter. It's actually from the same root Hebrew word as a cow chewing the cud. I'm not trying to be gross, you know this. A cow has, I think, what, nine stomachs? And so it eats, it chews that grass, swallows it, regurgitates it, chews that grass. That's meditation. In other words, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Because we're going to see in the Holy Week revival that for faith to work, See, first of all, I've got to get it in my head because that's how my brain processes information. But it has got to go further than my head. I've got to get it down into my heart. Now, the beginning stage of that is memorization. How can you meditate on something you haven't memorized? But what I've seen in the last three weeks is that's not the end game. I've got to rehearse it to myself over and over and over, till it becomes a part of me. See, until it becomes a part of my, 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 my DNA, as it were, it, it just as it will be a second nature to me. And again, the reason I'm bringing this up is, it'd be a good thing to get these verses in your situation, the way you like stuff, print it out. You know, whatever you do, bathroom, mirror, <laughs> refrigerator, whatever you do, and, and memorize these and then meditate on them, getting ready for the Holy Week revival. But I want you to notice, John 15, 7, and it shall be done for you. Where's the question mark? And it shall be done for you. In Mark eleven twenty four, and you shall have them. And you shall have them. I mean, no ifs, ands, buts. And then 1 John 5, 15, we know that we have what we ask of him. And so I was telling Sue this morning at, at breakfast that in 2018 in the Holy Week Revival, Mountain Moving Faith, I taught this as a confession. I have it by faith. But I don't think I really understood six years ago where that was from or how, how, how we arrive at that. And you have to understand all, everything I'm teaching, probably I say everything, a lot of it I heard one of my fathers in the faith at some point teach. So, you know, we have it by faith. Well, this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from because John says this is the confidence, we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, we have an approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, listen to the language of the assumption of the apostle, somebody who knew Jesus personally. And if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. We know that we have. So that's where that saying came from. By faith, I have it. See? 
and, and we're believing for it. Therefore, I say unto you, what things serve you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. Well, people get upset by this because they don't have it. Well, that's why you have to believe you receive it. See, once you have it, you don't have to believe you receive it. Can you see that? Well, how long do I have to believe I receive it? Until you have it. Well, why do I have to believe I receive it? Because you don't have it. Right? All right. So this ties into what was prepared for this evening, and that is praying according to his will. Because look in, in, in John 15, 7, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And so in prayer, the problem always comes up about prayer being according to the will of the Father. I'm not going to get into it tonight, but in the Holy Week Revival, we're going to deal with Christians ending every prayer with, if it be thy will. Well, that is a prayer of consecration. That, that language is appropriate in a prayer of consecration. For example, spring of 1982, I resigned from the church I was working at. A week or two later, a missionary comes by and offers us offers me a teaching position at the East Africa School of Theology in Nairobi, Kenya. They had three different missionaries out on furlough at the same time. That institution grants bachelor's degrees and by law in Kenya, an institution that grants bachelor's degrees, anybody who teaches there has got to have an earned accredited master's degree. And there weren't that many floating around at that point in time, 1982, so I got the invite. And so, you know, Sue and I prayed prayers of consecration. Father, we're not sure that this is what you want us to do. But if it's what you want us to do, we're willing to go. See, that is appropriate. That's, how, that's why Jesus prayed the way he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> you know, if it's possible, Father, let this cup from me, pass from me. But if it be thy will... And people want to take that phrase and stick it at the end of every prayer. You don't do that when you eat. <laughs> Father, bless this food and help it not to kill me, if it be thy will. <laughs> but, but we do this on all kinds of other prayers. And, it, it, and you're applying the wrong language to a prayer of faith or a prayer of agreement or whatever kind of prayer we're talking about. Now, if... If somebody in this church were to approach you about helping in children's church or helping in Sunday school, it'd be perfectly appropriate to go to God and say, now, Father, is that what you want me to do? Is that your will? If, it, if it's what you want me to do, I'll certainly do it. That's com completely appropriate. But on things we have knowledge of or things we should have knowledge of, I mean, I shouldn't be going to God and say, Lord, help me make the mortgage payment this month if it be thy will. I should know what his will is because he gave me a Bible. Can you see that? So Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's called a condition. In other words, if you want the the promise, the promise is you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's the promise, but the promise has a condition. And most promises in the Bible have conditions. 
And so by reading the Bible, meditating upon the word, we make the discovery that we are to take Jesus' place here on the earth. And in so doing, we are carrying out the plan of redemption of bringing lost men to a saving knowledge of Jesus, setting the captives free, healing the sick, and doing the same kind of work that the master did in his earth walk. That's what we ought to be doing. But Satan gets us all messed up with all kinds of issues and lack and issues in our body and all this stuff. See, I believe, and where I want you to get to is that you don't have a single prayer left about needs or your body or your family, and you have nothing left to focus on except acting like Jesus. Can you see that? So then you're not praying about the rent. You're not praying about your car payment. You're saying, Lord, help me, help me uh, tell somebody today about Jesus. Pastor says I'm supposed to do this at least every once a month at least. Help me find somebody. Bring somebody. See, in other words, Satan gets us all involved in the money we don't have and pain in our body and all this stuff going on. It's all a distraction. We should, get, we should have all of our needs met. We should have all of our pains and everything healed so we can focus on the real task to, 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 to walk through this life like Jesus did. 1 John 5, 14, 15, this is the confidence. Now, some tra- I looked this up today. It's fascinating. Some translations use the word freedom. Some translations use the word boldness. Some translations use most assured confidence. One translation I saw used the, the term overwhelming confidence. In other words, it's a sure thing. This is the confidence. This is the boldness. This is the freedom. This is the overwhelming confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, whatever we ask, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, we know that Jesus was the will of the Father manifest. He said in John 6, 38, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And really that should be the way we live our lives. Although, like I just got done saying, Satan gets us tied up with all kinds of needs and things that are distractions to us. And he said in John 8, 29, I will always do, I always do what pleases my father. That's the way we ought to be living, but of course that, that's another issue and that's a challenge. So if we do th- the same things that Jesus did plus the things that he taught us to do that he was not able to do in his lifetime, we may be sure that we are in the Father's will. What do you mean? Things that he taught us to do that he was not able to do in his lifetime. Well, he never had a wife. He never had children to raise. You understand? He he never got old. So a lot of the things that apply to us, he never got to live through. His life was cut short. So... If we are in his will, then we are certain that our prayers are both heard and answered. How do we know the word of God? Question, how do we know the, the excuse me, how do we know the will of God? By the word of God. So, and this is a big thing, and I think 
by and large, I'm talking to full gospel people. We don't try and force him to answer our prayers. While I was gone, I think, or was it Sunday, Austin used the example of how that when we pioneered this church, you know, he was a child, he didn't know, but when we pioneered this church, I began every year with a 40-day fast. And... Uh, 1988, the Lord, I mean, the Lord, he let me do what I was doing. 84, 85, 86, 87. We get to 88, he stopped me. He said, enough. You have had faith in fasting. You are to have faith in my word. He said, besides, you got what you want. You're going to be moving into that building in a few weeks. See, I, in other words, I got, but, but I had this mindset and I am concerned about my life and about our lives that is it full gospel people or, or are all of God's people susceptible to this that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get God to do what we want. And this is why even Sunday I mentioned a fast that I did in 1982 and I specifically said God didn't tell you to do that, don't do that. Now, and this is why I guess I'm a little snarky about January fasts that are coordinated, uh, prayer change, things like that. Because, see, it's a wrong mentality. You know, I was, I was probably 60 years old before I could call him daddy. It's just because of the way I was raised, man. I mean, I'm talking about sledge and hammer. Pastor, who are you raised by? Sledge and hammer. <laughs> but meditate. Change your life and meditate on these verses. And don't wait till you're 60 to call him daddy. See, and you cannot evaluate him by the father you had. And we live in a land of lies and we live in a land of liars and we're jaded people, we're jaded. Meditate on these scriptures that I've given you in previous weeks on the, in fact, I'm gonna give them to you again if we have time tonight, on the veracity of the word of God. So, we don't provoke him like some children do their parents until they wear their parents out. You know, it was such a great blog. You ought to watch it. The blog with Aaron Wood and my son-in-law and daughter, Derek, and Christina Hill, Know Your Children. You ought to watch it. Do yourself a favor. But uh, Derek was telling the story about their oldest coming to him about something that he knew that Christina had probably most likely said no to. See, these are the games children play. And how many of you understand Father God is too smart for us to be working them? So we're not trying to provoke him like some children do their parents until they, they wear their parents out. No, we come as intelligent men and women, grown up in Christ. We take our place. We take our place. And, and we don't just enter in 
telling him what we want, we, we also need to be bearing his burdens, partnering with him in his purpose of saving the world. And I'm, I'm trying to do a better job on this myself. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to be more mindful. I got a slap down in Santa Fe last month. I mean a slap down. And uh, I went into the coffee shop there and ordered a cappuccino and I'm walking out and I'm doing this while I'm praying. I take a break while I'm praying. I go into the shop, I get a cappuccino and I'm on the, my way out. And by the weight of it, I know it's not a cappuccino, it's a latte. And I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to myself, but in my mind, I'm grousing. And the Lord spoke to me and he said to me, that girl does not know Jesus and you're complaining about your drink. It was a slap down. And so I'm, 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 do, <laughs> I'm trying to do a better job. I had a, a workman at my house today, owns a company, and we're talking about this, that, and the other. And I, I said to him, I said, would you mind if I gave you a book? No. So I go in the house. I said, I wrote this little book, and I want to give it to you, God's very own child. And uh, we keep them inside the, the entranceway to the house in English and in Spanish, depending on, you know, who we're giving books away to. And, but I'm trying to do a better job. How many of you think we could, all of us, do a better job right here? And uh, when we were away, now don't, don't be offended at me, please. Uh, I'm just in a kind of a different place maybe than you are. So while we were away, we were having some work done, and uh, we got in this habit. So, you know, if a workman did a good job, we, which I think they all did, we were giving them a copy of God's very own child with a $100 bill in it. You know, somehow they just like getting the book better. <laughs> and uh, this, this one nice man, you know, he did some electrical work for us. He says, that's too much. I said, no, you did a great job. I'm, I'm grateful. But I, we're, I, listen, Mea culpa. I, I, I have not been mindful enough of the lost around me. You know, I want the grass cut the way I want to cut. I want the, trims, the trees trimmed the way I want. I'm, I want all this. But wait a minute. Do these people know Jesus? Because time is short. And we don't have to get in their face. Uh, we don't have to be unkind. And uh, so our solution kind of has been to give them gifts. And... Uh, and I'm not saying, I mean, today I didn't give that. That guy today, that was a different situation because he was the owner of a company. It might have been offensive to him, you know, to, to offer him some money. I just gave him the book. So you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. My point is, my point is not to give you a recipe to do every time. My point is to have stuff available and you're welcome to them. We print I don't know how many thousands of these. So you're welcome to them. Take them home, have them available, and be led by the Spirit. And because I'm out there, and <laughs> I'm talking to this man, and I mean, the, the Lord was on me. And, you know, I thought, well, I'll see him here in a few weeks. Man, he, the Lord was on me. It was an impression, an impression, an impression. And so I give him this book, and it was interesting because he said, well, 
He's, you could tell he was, he was not feeling good. He was not walking right. And he was talking about how he was working on getting his affairs in order. And I gave him a copy of God's very own child. So let us not just go into the throne room with our requests and our desires and our wants, but let us go into the throne room of God as partners with Jesus in the work of God. And pray for people who don't know him and pray that we could be better used, pray that we would be more efficient, pray that we would be more effective. Can I get an amen? amen? How many of you understand that I've always thought of God as the consummate businessman and the gospel is his business. And so why should he be concerned about what I'm concerned about if I'm not concerned about what he's concerned about? Amen. And what he's concerned about is getting people <laughs> to heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So... Others think we should just keep on and on and on praying about the same thing until we pester Father God into answering us. And I've done this. You know, the beautiful thing about you sitting in a church like this and hearing me teach on faith and prayer is I have made every mistake that could be made. I have prayed every kind of prayer except for Hail and Mary and the rosary. I have prayed every kind of ineffective prayer that could possibly be prayed. I have, I've tried it all. I've done it all. So that's the beauty of it, see, because you, you get to hear uh, the after evaluation of what works and what does not work. And so some, some of us just have this in our mind. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. You know, when I faced the biggest health challenge of my life, I, if I remember right, that was September 28 of 2022. I thought I was going to die. I mean, I thought... That Thursday morning, I, I stood here and spoke, and nobody knew anything. But man, I went, I went home, slept, got up Thursday morning, prayed, and I thought I was going to die. I'm out on my loop. I get toward the service gate, and and I was thinking, you know, should I should I call Austin? Should I should I get go get in an ambulance? I mean, I thought I was going to die. And about 12 more feet later, I made up my mind. And what I did is for 28 days. It took 28 days. I gave up praying, totally gave up praying because I don't know about how you pray, but I make mistakes praying. I'm sure I say the wrong thing praying. I might even offend him praying. I might offend him by asking for the same thing several times. Andrew Murray said, it's not polite to ask God for the same thing over and over and over. And so I, I just gave up praying and I went to praising and dancing. Because you can't make a mistake pra praising. And, and you know what I'm saying? Is my language right? Am I praying? Am I saying this right? Am I? No, I just, I thank you, Lord God. I'm, I'm, thank you, Lord God. I'm, I'm healed. I'm well because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. I know that. I know that. I know that. Jesus took up my infirmities. Jesus bore my diseases. The Lord my God sent his word and healed me and delivered me from all of my destructions. 28 days. Just powered through it. Praise his holy name. Amen. Amen. And then I went back to praying the way I was praying. And so, you know, I, I'm, I, I've kind of, today is day three. I've gone back to just praising him. And uh, 
rather than harassing him, pestering him. Yeah. Yeah, we have to watch it. Because I think, I think all of us have probably done it, done it at some time or another. I'm just man, morning, noon, and night, you know, and uh, I, I, I get results like that, but they seem to be very limited. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about damaging my right shoulder, and I would get it partially healed, then I would re-damage it, and then I'd get it partially healed, and I'd re-damage it. And I remember we were staying north of Miami, and there's a beach road I like to walk and pray. And I remember uh, saying to Sue how exhausted I was because I don't know what the, the locals thought of me. But I mean, I was doing, back then I wasn't doing six miles, I was doing four. But I, I danced all four of them. And, you know, it just at my age, it, it, it took, took some energy out of me. But it was, it was there in Miami in those days. I woke up one morning and I don't know why I did that because there was no alarm clock. I woke up and I just extended that arm all the way over there and I thought, huh. And I was totally and completely 100% healed. Tell your neighbor, there's great power in praise. Now don't thank God for the problem. Thank you, Father God, my head fell off. No, don't thank God for the problem. Thank him for the work of Jesus on the whipping post. Thank him for the work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. Thank him, Psalm 107.20, he sent his word and healed us and delivered us from all of our destructions. Matthew 8.17, which is quoting from Isaiah 53, thank him that he took up our infirmities and he bore away our diseases. Thank him, 1 Peter 2.24, that by the stripes of Jesus we have been healed. Amen. Amen. Same thing is true with money. Find out what the Bible says about money and then thank the Lord that the answer is on the way. Better to pray intelligently about a matter one time, employing two or three scriptures that promise us what we are asking for and then thank him continually for watching over his word to perform it. Just remind him of his word. You know, the Bible says, uh, let us plead together. Remind him of his word, declare thou, Remind him of his word and thank him for making his word come to pass in your life. Now listen to this carefully because this will help us. Unbelief becomes insistent. Thinking that by works of some kind, it can force God to answer. Unbelief. And I hate to admit it, but it is true. It's true in my life. It's true in everybody's life here that the root cause of unanswered prayer is unbelief. And that's why we have to eradicate it, Joshua 1.8, Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's why we've got to eradicate. That's why Paul wrote things like, you know, from prison, underneath the streets of Rome and the, the prison there, waiting to be beheaded. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. How many of us could do that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Unbelief becomes insistent thinking that by works of some kind, it can force God to answer. No, we just act on God's word like we act on the word of any firm or company. 
We're going, we're, we're going to act on his word simply as intelligent men and women act on the word of a bank or a mortgage company or any other institution that has a record of honesty. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And this, this banker that we used in Missouri on Derek Christina's house, he's, he's, uh, he's just got a lot on his plate. The week that we closed on their house, I think he had 23 commercial closings. It was just, it's just, it's just I, I don't even know how he does it. And so, you know, my nature, my nature, I wanted to plan B, plan C, you know, but the Holy Spirit just kept speaking peace to me. And so I was like, okay, all right, okay. You know, I just had to stay cool and, and it, it came to pass. So I'm saying we do this all the time. We trust man. Why can't we trust the Lord? I said, we trust man. I just read yesterday, was it yesterday or the day before? 11% of everyone diagnosed with anything in a hospital, they get the wrong diagnosis. And 23% of everybody who dies in hospitals in America, it's because of a wrong diagnosis. 23%. I got better odds than that praying. So. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost never misdiagnoses. Amen? I'm just saying, we trust man all the time. So maybe we ought to concentrate on trusting Papa, Daddy. Remember, God cannot lie. He watches over his word to make it good. Moses said, Numbers 23, 19, these are worth writing down. Man, I'll tell you, if you have something you really need from the Lord, these are good to go over every day. Numbers 23, 19, Moses said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind as he speak and then not act as he promise and not fulfill. Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, 29, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. God said through David in Psalm 89, 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. And David said in Psalm 119, 89, I love this. These are some of the most beautiful words ever penned by man. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That must come out of my mouth several hundred times a day. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And David also wrote in Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, he was praying when he said this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus praying to Father God said, your word is truth. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 1, 12, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The Amplified says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. I love it. Say it out loud. The Lord our God, Lord our God is, actively is actively watching over his word, over his word to, fulfill it. to fulfill it. Okay, well, if, if that's the way it is, and it is, what do I need to give him? 
talk to me, if that's the way it is, if that's the way God operates, if that's the way it is, what do I need to give him? Talk to me, what do I need to give him? His word, I need to put him in remembrance. Thank you, Father. Not grousing. The man who trusts him is absolutely as safe as Jesus was when he trusted his father. Now, let me get to one uh, passage in the Gospels and we'll quit. And we'll pick up here next time because I want to talk about how our foe is defeated. I think too many people have this, this mental picture of a, of a great big devil and he's like in some kind of uh, wrestling match with God and we're waiting to see how it's going to turn out. No, 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 no. When Jesus began his public ministry, he regularly came in contact with demonic forces. Now, they had done their deeds unhindered all through the ages. Think about what I'm saying. To the best of my knowledge, there is not a record in the Old Testament of a devil being cast out. So for 4,000 years, they wreaked mayhem and they were unchecked and they were unhindered. Think it over. We take a lot of things for granted. They had held men in bondage. They had reigned as kings in the realm of spiritual death. No one had authority to dispossess them or to rule over them. Then we get to a passage like this, Mark 1.21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. Now, that should not alarm you. Lester Sumrall when, when we got reacquainted, I met him when I was in Bible school, went to dinner with him when I was in Bible school. We pioneered this church January 1, 1984, and Lester Summerall was the first guest speaker in the new building. <laughs> he didn't have experience with us at that point. We were, we were newbies, so all he'd give us is a Friday night, and so he was there on a Friday night. But we got reacquainted as soon as he saw the crowd, he saw the offering, you know, we could get them Sunday night when we wanted them. And so we reestablished that relationship, reconnected in that relationship. But it was early on that he told me, he warned me. He said, he said, you've got the anointing of God on you. And he said, demons will be drawn to you because he said they will come to warm themselves on the light in you because the light went out in them thousands of years ago and so I thought okay <laughs> but I've never had any trouble with them you know because I I've I found out what Jesus did this is what we're going to get to my point is <laughs> if there were demons in synagogues you would be a simpleton to think there are not demons in churches. <clears throat> Pastor, how come we don't, 
how come we don't see stuff with our eyes like what happened to Jesus and these encounters in the Gospels? Well, because they're all stoned. What's the first thing they do to somebody who has mental problems? Medicate the H-E-L-L out of them. But I've been in psych wards visiting people, and I'll tell you what, there's no creepier place on the planet than a nursing home where you have dementia and spirits. But they're all drugged. But there's an atmosphere to it. Tell your neighbor, I'm not ever going to a nursing home as a resident. It's okay to visit. Just don't stay there. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. The devil, he just loves to show out. <laughs> but I've never had any trouble with him. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And he's talking in the plural. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, that demon knew Jesus. That demon knew who Jesus was. And it's always been a sad feature to me of the Gospels that every time he came across a demon, the demons knew who he was, but the religious leaders did not know who he was. I think that's sad. And, the religious leaders supposedly studied their Bible that they had, the Old Testament, we call it. Anybody who had read it once should have known that because of the miracles, the least Jesus had to be was a prophet at the level of Elijah or Elisha. Because you understand Jeremiah didn't do miracles. Isaiah didn't do miracles. Most of them didn't do miracles. So just on the basis of his miracles, anybody who had a cursory understanding of the Old Testament, as we call it, should have known the least he was, was a prophet at the Elijah or Elisha level, and they should have left him alone. But like most men, all they cared about was their place. And so... They didn't know who he was, and they saw him as a threat to their place because of the crowds he garnered and because of the miracles he did. So they had government kill him. It's exactly what the crazies do today. Why should they get their hands dirty when they can have the government put people in prison that disagree with them? It's exactly what we see today. We got, 11, we got people facing 11 years in prison for praying outside an abortion clinic. They weren't doing something violent. They were praying. 11 years for praying. That's where we live now. We don't even know it. 11 years for praying. And then that vet is he's facing prison 
for beheading a Satan statue. I forgot what state that's in. They're tearing down statues every, every, every week everywhere. Oh, but don't touch that Satan statue. That's, the, that's where we live. We, we, you know, we're busy about our lives and we don't even realize. And we think other lands are pagan. No, this one's pagan. And then worse, not only did they have the Romans kill Jesus for them, they said, may his blood be on our hands and on our children's hands. And how has that played out for them the last 2,000 years? So this demon not only knew Jesus, but he knew his authority and his attitude toward the demon. So Matthew 4, 1 to 11 is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And I'm going to quit. We'll get to that next Wednesday night. Because we're going to talk about next Wednesday night, how did Jesus handle the devil? How did Jesus run the devil off? And do not miss the Holy Week Revival 2024 because we're going to talk about, and, and don't miss the power lunch. They're not the same messages, but they're, they're going to be in tandem. Failure, fear, doubt, unbelief, these are not of God. See, for example, Paul said, God has not given us a spirit, the spirit of fear. So what did Paul call fear? Spirit. Talk to me. What did he call fear? Spirit. A spirit. And if God did not give it to us, then where does it come from? It comes from the evil one. Say it out loud. Fear. fear. Unbelief. Unbelief. Doubt. Doubt. Failure. Failure. These are mental pictures. I will not, I will not entertain, entertain in my mind. In my mind.